What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Fitness Stuff for Normal People podcast. I'm Mariana. And I'm Tony. And the fitness industry right now is not what it could be. It's become something built on unrealistic expectations, aesthetics, and external validation, directing attention away from what actually matters. The bottom line is we're not trying to provide just another fitness podcast, but completely change the fitness industry for the better by giving you the knowledge and tools so you have confidence in applying the best possible training and nutrition into your own lives. Where today we are talking about the top 10 reasons your workout isn't getting you results or why you're not making progress. Progress is really complex. A lot of things go into it, your diet, your recovery, but your workouts can either be what pushes you forward or what keeps you at a standstill. These are the biggest problems that are preventing you from making progress in the gym. We're going to tell you how to fix them or avoid them. And before we get into that, if you want to make us happy and you want to support us, the easiest way you can do that is by giving us a five-star review wherever you're listening to us. And you can also go ahead and follow us on Spotify. That way you'll stay up to date on every new episode because you don't want to miss out. And if you want to get more after each episode, join us over on Premium for just five bucks a month where you get a bonus episode every single Friday where we answer your questions full training programs like our high frequency full body training program my personal favorite our ultimate push pull leg program and our newest program that is set to drop in just a few weeks you also get other sick perks like weekly region supplement giveaways exclusive discounts for companies like aura examine and so much more the sign up for that is going to be down in the show notes below again it's just five bucks a month that's nothing it's like what half a netflix a third of a netflix account these days I don't know make how sense. much Netflix costs anymore. I never use it. I'm still on my friend's account. Shh. Don't <laughs> tell them. And a quick shout out to the sponsor of today's episode, Legion Athletics. And bro, let me tell you something. I've been using the Pump Surge products on top of their pre-workout. And since it came out about, what, a month and a half ago, I think it came out about mm-hmm. somewhere around there. And it completely changed my mind on how I feel about pump products. I've known they've been a thing before. I just haven't been super into them that much. I haven't tried them that much. And the pump plays a decent role in muscle growth. It increases the nutrients delivered to your muscle, the anabolic signaling from the cell swelling and the metabolic stress it puts onto the muscle during your training. But the one thing I didn't realize was the insane boost in mind muscle connection during my training, especially those like harder to feel muscles, like exercises on your rear delts or your glutes, which can be tricky to feel if you're doing them right. Holy crap. Does it give you a better mind muscle connection is the, the contractions unreal every single rep i didn't know how good some of these things should have been feeling until this point so if you lift weights that's a product you might want to check out it goes on top of their pre-workout and if you need to restock any other staples like their lactose-free weight protein their fish oil or normal pre-workout you can always use the legion link in the show notes below or type in the code fspod that's fspod at checkout for 20 percent off your first order or double points on every order after that I'm just going to start taking the pump. You're going to have to take some pictures of the pump. I I don't do sponsored posts on my social media, but I really wanted to do a self-experiment. Did I tell you about this? I wanted to do a self-experiment where I did just like the most bro of bro arm days, like just buys and tries, pound them to the ground and measure my arm circumference before and after, and then do it after the pump product to see how much difference of a swell it would make. But I haven't committed fully to that. Maybe I'll just start taking it before podcast well, I, episodes. I think you should com- commit to it now that you've said it. You're right. Now you I have said to it do to it. Our, 
our listeners, I got to deliver. Maybe I'll start doing it before these episodes. Just get pumped before our recordings. Or maybe I'll just take And I'll drink an Olipop. Maybe that's what it'll be. Tony, do you know what this strawberry vanilla Olipop flavor reminds me of every time I have one? You. Because Tony, when I first met him, when we first met in person, I had an awful flight to LA. Terrible. I had a surprise overnight layover. It was just a disaster. And Tony comes and picks me up from the airport. I'm so tired. I'm hungry and I'm cranky. And he has an, a strawberry vanilla olipop. And I was like, I, it could have been, I don't even know. It was like the best thing ever. I almost cried. I forgot about it. I legit was, was so confused about where you're going for that. But that took me back. I can't wait to go back because we're going back here soon. But that first trip was a disaster from the start. And it ended yeah. out really, really well. But mm-hmm. oh my God, from the flight to the canceled plans, from the sickness and stomach virus I got, that was an insane trip. Listening. I know you were having yeah. like the worst of days and like, crap, what do I know Mariana likes? Olipops. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go just get whatever Olipop they got. That was hilarious. That was funny. So New Year, we're starting off with uh, a lot of fiber in our diets. You got a lot yeah. of snow over there. It's actually kind of nice out yeah. here during this little day. But the New Year's off to a good start. A lot of people are starting up some new programs. I know a lot of people are new to FS Premium too, starting off our programs here. I'm excited for the next one coming out. But there's a lot of people who feel stuck with their workouts, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot of people who feel stuck. And we talk about how complex progress is start to finish, like every single episode here. There's okay. a lot of things that go into it, but your workouts are important. So we wanted to come up with this episode to give you the top 10 reasons why your workouts might not be working out. Why your workouts might not be working out because it can be boiled down to a lot. We've done an episode before, I believe, on weight loss stalls and plateaus and especially diet or dietary Mm -hmm. reasons why you might be failing off. So now this time we are switching it over to the gym and your actual training. And I think for the most part, these 10, would you say they're in any specific order? I would say the first one is my biggest one and then the the other nine come in a close second. But I would put the first reason off the top. So we're going to go ahead and jump this off and start going through reason number one. And this is, at least in my opinion, the most and the biggest reason why people are running into a wall or hitting a plateau in their training. And I'll start by just asking this question. If you're listening to this, are you just working out or are you training? Most people are just working out and that's why they're stuck. And to clarify, we've talked about this on the podcast several times before. Working out is when you just go to the gym and pick a day. Let's say it's leg day. And you just pick up whatever you're feeling that day. You do random exercises or random amount of sets, reps, rest times. And it's fun, but every single day is different. Today's leg day is different than the last leg day, which is different than the one before that. You're just not going to make it far past the beginner stage if you're doing it like this. This is also one of the bigger problems we've talked about with hit classes like Orange Theory or Barry's Boot Camp, where training, on the other hand, is an intentional plan of working out specifically aimed at your goal, specifically aimed at your goal, where every exercise choice, every set and rep count and workout builds on top of the last one, moving you closer to your goal. So the workouts aren't changing that much week to week, which some people find boring, but you have to have structure if you expect to build on top of it. You have to have that structure if you expect to build anything on top of it, right? So hitting the same exercises week after week while progressing small parts of each workout every time you go in is really what separates that training versus working out, like adding in more weight, more reps, more set efficiency, 
all the things we covered back in episode 48 to make sure you're hitting progressive overload. And this is what's taking your training to the next level. I think a common, what did we use last time? A common analogy for this. <laughs> Wait, you didn't like this one last time I used it. Just working out is kind of like going to your fridge blindfolded and just picking random ingredients to throw in a pot, hoping it ends up tasting good. Where a training program is like following an actual recipe. Every ingredient is carefully chosen. The cooking time is set out for you and it leads to a delicious meal every time because you're following that structure. The best way that you can guarantee you don't make progress in the gym is by not working out. But the second best way is to work out with no sort of plan. And we could beat that into the ground, but I would say that, and a lot of these other rules and reasons today fall under that a little bit almost. Yeah. Don't you think? Oh, I think so. Because I thought about it a lot while I was going through these too as well. And I don't want people to think, especially, and I know we don't have as many, actually, you know what, we might, but if you are very, very new to working out, like it's a completely new world and you're kind of just getting your feet wet, finding what you enjoy and being all over the place at first is okay. That's totally okay with having in mind, you know, yeah. I need to find some structure. I need to figure if it's just about, cause some people are paranoid about even stepping foot in the gym or very self-conscious or scared and don't really know what's going on. Don't feel like you have to go head first as a beginner beginner and have this really solid foundation ready to go and know exactly what to do. Absolutely. But. Yeah. Cause if you're, and this is where I, I really mentioned like getting out of the beginner stage. Yeah. If you're a beginner, you can still make progress. Really doing anything new, no matter how random yeah. it is, is going to elicit some sort of progress in your first year of lifting weights. But it's getting from that beginner to intermediate, that intermediate to advanced, that advanced to expert level that you rarely see done without a very intentional structure to your training. Mm -hmm. And that's the biggest thing. And that's where I'm like, I don't care if this is a bias plug or not. But this is why using some sort of a training program can be so freaking important. And that's why we make these 12-week programs in FS Premium, which is just five freaking dollars, which is still mm -hmm. insane to me. These programs could be sold for like $50 to $100 probably. <laughs> we went for the we'll more mass for production so route. But yeah, following a simple program like that, like if you aren't on any sort of program, I just I dare you to try ours. And what worst case, you lose $5. Big whoop. But yeah. it's insane the amount of progress you start seeing if you've just been doing these random workouts, these random exercises for the last couple months, years, a lot of the time, and you get on some sort of a structured program, it's insane the progress you start to see just by making that one simple switch. That's what I did for like the first five, six years of my training when I started working out when I was a teenager. It was completely random and it made me progress for like the first year or two. And then I kind of stayed mostly the same for a few years after that. Mm -hmm. And that was the main reason why. I was like, oh, it's chest day. What looks good today? Oh, bench is open. Okay, I'll do that. Oh, bench isn't open today. Okay, I'll go do some dumbbell work, whatever. It's mm -hmm. fun, but it doesn't really lead to progress. And that's mm -hmm. reason number one on the list. Reason number two, these are all important, but I think about this one a lot, is you're not tracking your progress. And I think people really do underestimate how much tracking progress can make or break your overall success towards any workout related goal. How can you know what direction you're trending in without any data? So tracking progress gives you data. We do it in all aspects of our lives. You think about yeah. school. Why do we have tests? Why do we have homework? Why do we have things? assignments that give teachers something to gauge to see how we're trending in terms of if 
Are we understanding this information? Are we performing well? Are we grasping it? In work, you have your performance reviews with your boss. And how do they know what you're doing? They look at tasks that you've been assigned and how you're performing on them. And they need some sort of data to evaluate your performance. Because you want to succeed, you want to progress in whatever it is you're doing. In relationships, how do you evaluate your progress in your relationship, how your relationship is performing? You sit down and talk it out. You think about how often are am I going on dates with this person? How many times a week do I really take the time to say, I love you and I appreciate you or do something for someone else? You're reflecting on data in all of these aspects of your life. You also need that for your workout. You need some sort of data to evaluate how you are doing. If you don't have that and you get stuck, which you you will, that happens. You can't just rely on how you're feeling or especially if you feel like you're not looking the way you want to look. What do you have to go by to tell you that this is why? Nothing. So this is very important that spiel. <laughs> Maybe that will help you understand how important this is. And it also gives you Tracking gives you a better awareness of your behavior and habits. So let me just go through what I'm talking about. Some pieces that you could track. This is how many workouts per week you're doing, your strength, the days you hit your protein or calorie intake. Yes, that's not your workout, but that's still going to help with your performance in the gym, your weight, your progress photos, biofeedback. How's your energy and fatigue after this workout? How much energy can you actually put into this workout? So These are things that you can track and you can see, okay, how am I performing? Oh my goodness. I haven't been able to increase my weight on this exercise in over a month. And I feel what's going on here. So it really is something that gives you a place to move forward when you're at a standstill. And it also like tracking these metrics gives you something to work towards. I think it could be really motivating to have data, especially from a strength standpoint, like seeing Maybe you could feel it, but really seeing, going back and looking at the numbers, oh my goodness, I started here when I was doing my bicep curls and now I can lift this much weight. Like I'm improving so well. It can be very motivating and it can also help you identify patterns in your behavior that may be sabotaging your success. So the more data you have, the more information you can gather to determine what you might be doing wrong, inconsistencies in your workout routine, whether or not you're working out hard enough, where you're improving patterns in your workout routine that maybe you've kind of let slide for a while, but are really holding you back. So it's really informative and I don't want people to underestimate it. And also a really huge piece to this specifically to tracking your workouts is if you're not tracking your workouts, there's really no way to tell if you're applying progressive overload, Mm -hmm. which you need to increase strength and muscle. That's the first, yeah, first rule of the gym is it's the one thing you need to be in place. <laughs> so if that's if I could, if there's one takeaway from how important this is, if you are not being able to see if you're applying progressive overload and doing it properly, you're really it's just you're beating a dead horse. It's almost like you're putting in so much work, but you're leaving out the key, most integral component of whether or not this work is going to be worthwhile and successful towards meeting my goals. Yeah. Uh, Okay. That just got me kind of sent me down a little thought trail because I'm like, yes, it makes sense that you need feedback in any area of life that you want to see progress. If you're not trying to progress in an area of life, you don't necessarily, you don't really need feedback. It can help, but you don't need it unless you're trying to make progress. I'm even thinking from like an evolutionary standpoint. Oh, like that's what our, that's what (laughs) our like human senses are for. Like your senses are responding to what millions of different feedback cues through the entire day 
to make sure that you respond as well as you could in everyday life. I'm even thinking like when you're riding a bike, I've heard this analogy before too. If you have a hundred yards to ride a bike from point A to point B, you say, okay, yeah, I just ride the bike in a straight lane, but you're not really going in a straight line, right? Because you could, if, you, if someone locked the handlebars in place on your bike and told you to ride a hundred yards, I doubt you could make it past like 10, 15 before you yeah. just fell over because you're constantly just assessing the feedback, steering slightly curving around because you're assessing the gravity, the tilt, your balance. All of this is feedback coming in to get you from point A to point B. And that's like a super simplified look at it. Mm-hmm. But why it makes sense in literally any aspect of life that you want to make progress. And this is where, even though I know we're talking about workouts, which I, and just to plug, if you don't know where to track them, you can do it in your notes app. But a better app that we both love is it's free. It's called Stacked. I think that's still in the app store. Mm-hmm. Stacked that lets you easily track and manage your workouts. I think there's a few others too, if you just do a quick Google search. But even when people see or shy away from tracking certain other measures of progress, like the scale or something like that, it's like if you just see it as data, that's really all it is. Data to tell you if what you're doing is working. If it's not working, that should be a good, you should get excited about that because it at least guarantees that you need to change what you're doing versus not yeah. knowing if what you're doing is working. You have zero clue and you can never guarantee if you're moving forward or not. Yeah. Tracking your progress is big. And especially yeah. when it comes to tracking your workouts, another part of like training versus working out, that's a part of training. Like you're tracking your workouts. Why our training programs have the, Excel files to actually track your workouts in. I don't want to say it's needed, but it's so important for progress. Important. And also as you improve over time, you're going to want to make adjustments and you need to be able to see those improvements. Like you need to have it somewhere to know where to go. It's just like you're, if you're going, uh, I don't know, if you're walking somewhere and you know where you need to go, but you don't know how to get there because you have no map and you've never been there before. But you know what you want the outcome to be, your destination, but you have no idea where the fuck you go, you're going. So you're just walking around in circles. That's kind of like what yeah. not yeah, tracking like your workouts. Strip and just... one of your senses. You're going to the store, but yeah. I take away your vision. You have zero feedback visual. Yeah. Good luck making <laughs> to the store. You have no feedback. Yeah. You're not going to make it. Dang, that got me hyped up about feedback. And mm-hmm. I want to put that as reason number one. We're moving on. That was a hot one. Reason number, number three. three. Reason number three. And this one, it's going to seem a little off at first. Because this is kind of a, it's a kind of a trap. Reason number three is that you're working out too much. You're doing too much. You're working out too much. And we, we can call this overtraining to a sense, but overtraining is, is kind of like a trap because it goes against our natural instincts. Like lifting weights is a trap. Most mm-hmm. things in life, you can expect to receive rewards in direct proportion to what you give your time and effort to right? If you work harder and you work more in your career, you'll probably end up getting promoted or moving forward in that career. Spend more time with your family and friends, and you'll usually build stronger relationships. Like it's a linear increase. The more time you spend, the better that outcome is. The more time you practice learning the piano, the faster and better you'll learn, right? But when it comes to lifting weights, it's a little bit different. And there comes a point where giving more effort becomes counterproductive. And even a point where you start to see diminishing returns, or you start moving backwards the more you put in after a certain point. We've talked about that here and there on the podcast. So most people are aware of this concept, but they aren't aware of how easy it is to overtrain or how to spot it. And I think that's one thing really to look at. But it's tough because you can't really define a clear cutoff line, I think. Like you see a lot of people giving like a a volume recommendation. Any more than X amount of sets per week and you're doing too much. 
or if you're training six days a week or four days a week or seven days a week, it's too much. But I mean, if you manage your volume and intensity, you can make a workout program that is seven days a week that works out just fine. If you manage your volume and intensity, right? Your workouts might be 30 to 45 minutes, but you could make it work. But the same thing could happen where you could also be overtraining by just working out four days per week. If you're spending two plus hours working out a single muscle group, doing set after set after set on chest, on glutes, on whatever, that's doing too much, right? So a seven day per week program could not be enough. And a four day a week program could be too much. So there's not really a clear cutoff line to like how many rest days you need, how many sets you need to be doing per workout. There's, it's a little bit context driven, right? So the best thing to look at here, and this is where I've changed my mind. And I think my thoughts on training volume recommendations over the past few months, a little bit, but I think the easiest way to look at it is, is you can usually find a cutoff point by just counting how many hard sets you're doing on a muscle group throughout the week. For example, we've talked about this in our training program episodes. If you're doing like an upper and lower body split four times a week, so you have two upper body days, two lower body days, and you do eight sets on your chest on each upper body day, you do that twice a week. That is 16 total sets on your chest per week. That's the number we're trying to see and count here to make sure if you're doing too much or too little. Now, it's clear to set a cutoff point. It, the optimal range is a little bit different, I think, than I, I used to think, I think, in our first training program episode, what? That was almost a year and a half ago, two years a ago. A while ago, yeah. That was really, yeah, that was a long time ago. At least my recommendations have changed a little bit. But instead of a blanket number, I think it's better to set this cutoff point based on how experienced you are or how many years you've been training. And I think if you're a beginner, meaning you're in your first year of training, Doing any more than 12 hard sets per muscle group per week is probably too much, right? I'm saying hard sets per muscle group per week, meaning 12 hard sets on your chest, 12 hard sets on your arms, 12 hard sets on your back, 12 hard sets on each muscle group, not just total, right? If you're intermediate, meaning around that two to five years of training, doing any more than 20 sets per week per muscle group is again, probably too much. This means if you're doing legs three days per week, and you're training your glutes for 10 sets on each of those days, and that's 30 total sets per week, that's too much. And, and keep in mind, I'm saying beginner, intermediate, advanced. These are how many years you've been training, not just working out, training, right? Following a set actual guideline. I want to be very careful on that. Now, if you're advanced, and this is where if you've been training for more than five years, which is not a big percent of the population, that's where it can get a little bit tricky, but doing any more than like 25 to 30 hard sets per muscle group per week is going to be a cutoff, but it can even be before that point. And if you're an enhanced athlete, meaning you use PEDs or steroids, you can typically handle quite a bit more for a cutoff point, like 35 to 40 sets per muscle group per week. But that's just because those performance enhancers enhance your ability to recover from that stress of training. So that's the only reason why, even though I don't even know how much, how you have enough time in your week to do that. Like 35 to 40 per muscle group. No. Unless you're doing two I, days. I, I just I don't know. Around that. Now, and, and just to clarify with this cutoff point before going on to the next one, these are hard sets. I said that for a reason. Hard sets, meaning sets taken within zero to three reps of failure. And we know notoriously people, when left to their own devices, usually don't train anywhere close to failure. But there are so, there's going to be a subset of population that is doing this. And I see this a lot. I don't know about you, but I see this a lot in like female glute programs. 
not just girls doing it, but like men, women, whoever selling these programs where it's like a glute guide where there's like 30 or 40 freaking sets per week just on glutes. I've had clients coming in that were doing this and they're like, why are my glutes not growing? It's like, cause you're doing two to three times more than you need to be doing here. Yeah. That's where I see it a lot. Or sometimes with guys and like mirror muscles, like their chest or their shoulders. Do you see that a lot or no? I see it with the glute workouts all the time. What is that? What was that challenge on TikTok? It's like the Russian, I'm going to get this wrong, hip thrust, like where you, I don't, I don't know, but it was this hip thrust challenge and it was like so many fucking sets in a sitting and you're just, it's insane. I, I'm going to have to find it. But was the trend like how you're going to walk away like your legs are shaking because you're so fatigued and that makes people think it's a good workout kind of yeah. a thing? Yeah. Because I mean, fatigue crazy. does not mean you had a good workout. If you're listening to this, how sore you are, how fatigued you are, that doesn't mean you had a good workout, but that's how a lot of these programs will say trick you into thinking you got a good workout. But picture this, like if you carry in all the groceries from your car in one trip into your house, your forearm is going to be on freaking fire, right? It's going to be fatigued. That doesn't mean you got a great workout. You're not going to grow massive forearms by doing that. But same thing kind of applies here to these workouts. How many people when you were a kid and your mom would be like, come help me with the groceries and you're doing it in one trip. You put on whatever shoes are at the door and you do it in one trip and your you arm. Oh my goodness. I used to, yeah. 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 You'd be, and then you're just waiting for someone to open the door. You're like, open the door. Yeah. You're shaking. Door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was so funny. funny. But and the point here is in doing too much. And if you're confused by this, because they're like for a large part, more volume generally does equal more progress, but it's to that certain point where it's not that if you could do 30 or 40 high quality sets, you wouldn't make more progress. The problem is if you're able to do 30 or 40 sets per muscle group or on one muscle group in one week, I can almost guarantee that the sets or at least more than half of them are not going to be using a heavy enough weight or you're not training hard enough or close enough to failure on those sets. Because if you were, there's zero chance you could recover from 30 to 40 sets per week. Because some people will do it. They'll do 30, 40 sets on their glutes and they'll be confused why they're not growing. It's because none of those sets are effective sets. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but none of those sets are effective. And I will say this head note because I was saying like seven days could be, could work, four days could be too much. For most people, you're going to notice that you perform better throughout the week by taking at least two days off per week, at least two days off. So training four or five times seems to be the sweet spot. Yes, you can make six or seven days work, but just being in this industry for over 10 years and talking to people, I've never seen it work well for someone that's past the beginner stage, at least. And I do want to clarify this. When I say rest days, I don't mean go take a Barry's boot camp hit class. I don't mean go do something insane. I mean like rest. You can do active recovery. You can go on a walk. You can go on a bike ride. But I don't know if you've ever seen these people, but those people, it's like, oh yeah, it's just my rest day. I did a Barry's boot camp in the morning and I'm doing an orange theory tonight. What? People what who work out rest? don't, like a lot of people who work out don't know how to rest. I'm sure we could both speak to that at some point. Now it's like I forced myself to, um, but. Yeah. Oh, early on. Okay. Especially early on. I went through probably a few months at least when I was in my like 18, 19, the no days off team. Yeah. No days off. But I've told that like I, every time I take it back and I'm at four days per week now, I've never noticed greater progress and performance than four days per week. That's my, mm-hmm. that's my sweet spot now. Yeah. So that was reason number three. Reason number four. We've got some three hot ones to start. What's number four? Yeah. Number four is your inconsistent, going. inconsistency. 
which it's this is you know you could take this at face value it's not that complex here but I feel like especially the first one Tony talked about having a training program having a training program is going to help you be consistent so if there is a solution to consistency, it's having a solid training program. No matter what you do in life, you're not going to achieve the success you want unless you work at it day in, day out consistently, not for just a few weeks, not usually for just a couple of months. It's typically to years on end, depending mm. on what that end goal is, why this is so important and why we wanted to include it for many reasons. But what I really think about is how a lot of people don't play the long game with fitness and working out. And that's what we try to push and tell you guys over and over again to think long-term when it comes to your training and going to the gym. Don't look at it as just a 75-day challenge of working out. Look at it as, what can I incorporate that I can do this year, the next, the year after that, after that, that's adaptable to my life. I can change it according to my environment, but this is here to stay. Like I'm going to work out. I'm going to have a training program and I don't foresee that just disappearing. It's not temporary. So how can we be consistent at that? In the beginning is the hardest thing. Once you establish that consistency, the what is it? Who says this? Your training program is just like the backbone of everything else. It is the skeleton. Uh, that you, uh, Bill Campbell was kind of saying that, like the heartbeat. The heartbeat. Year round yeah. is your heartbeat. Yeah. And it allow when you have that, it and you can be consistent in your workouts, it makes things so much easier. Consistency is important, not just because you need to be consistent in order to see results, but it lays the framework for long-term success. It can enable the development of new habits. So if you start to go to the gym consistently, what happens there? Not only are you going to see better performance in your, in your workouts from adhering to a training program consistently, but what else are you doing because you started to enact a new healthier habit? It also can build that momentum to sustain your accomplishments. So when you're consistent and you start to see the benefits of that consistency, even though it takes a longer time, that that feeling of working so hard for a long time consistently and succeeding in the gym, that's going to accelerate you and motivate you to continue to do it even though it's going to take a longer time. So you're not chasing that instant gratification, but it's so much more rewarding when you get that long-term payoff. It also creates self-confidence, trust in, in yourself and discipline, I find, when you are Big consistent. Time. And it can also develop new fitness-related opportunities that maybe you never saw yourself doing, but they come about. Maybe you find new interests, you meet new people. So yes, this is talking about why your workout maybe isn't working out, but I just, I wanted to mention a few other benefits to, to being consistent. Well, I think I this think. is actually a bigger, now that I think about it, this is really a bigger problem than I think most people realize. I think most yeah. people listening to this are like, oh, that's not, I don't really struggle with that for the most part. But I've talked about this when I used to work at that gym out in Atlanta. It's, it's a cognitive bias. I think it's called rosy retrospection. Does that ring a bell? Hmm, I've never heard of it, but I like the name of it. It, it, it. But it's called rosy retrospection, I believe. It's the bias that describes how people, pretty much all people, tend to remember their past behavior as being more positive than they actually were in reality, and oftentimes forgetting certain negative aspects. I talk about this a lot when I moved out to Atlanta when I was like 19, 20 to help open up an Orange Theory Fitness out there in like Northeast Atlanta area near Alpharetta. And it tracked every time a member would come into their workouts. It would track every time a member went to a class. 
And a lot of the members would sign up and say, okay, I'm coming four days per week, four days per week. That's what they had in their head. I'm coming four days per week, but that's the plan, right? That's plan A. And we know that like in life, plan A usually doesn't happen all the time. You have to have a plan B every once in a while and things come up. Your kids had to stay late at school. One of them got in trouble, had detention. You had to go pick them up. You got a flat tire on the waiver, whatever. Sometimes you have to miss a workout. Sometimes you do. And it was funny because when I'd ask some of these people who were struggling and would come up to me and say, Hey, like, why am I not losing weight? Why am I not making progress? And it's like, Oh, well, how many, like how many times are you coming per week? Cause if you're coming, like if you're working out once a week, you can't really expect much progress. Right. Like I'm coming four days per week, but I'm not seeing progress. So I pull up their club usage and they average like one to three workouts per week, right around two for the most part. And I asked them, like, how many times did you come last month? Or like four times a week, four weeks. Okay, I came 16 times. Maybe I missed one 15. And you look it up and they used it like seven times. They used the club like less than half. And this, they're not lying to me. They actually think that's how often they were going. So I think a lot of the time people don't realize how inconsistent they are when you have these vacations or weekend trips or birthdays or whatever. It can really bleed into your week to week where you're not doing what you need to actually make progress. And I think that's a big piece of it. And that's even if you don't have a training program, have we talked about that blank calendar tool? Really like print out, like if it's January or come February, print out a blank calendar and just on that calendar, keep it right next to your bedside with a red marker, put a giant red X through the days that you worked out at the end of the day and leave it blank if you did not. And at the end of the month, you can compare what you thought you were going to get going into it. You can write down on the top at the beginning of February, how many workouts you're trying to get. And then you count the red X's on the days after you can do this with a calorie goal going to bed. How many days did you stick to your calorie goal? Red X on the days you did leave it blank if you didn't. And that'll tell you if you're being consistent by the end of the month, that is a easy freaking tool that will hold you accountable. But that one's, I think more prevalent than people realize. Wouldn't you agree? I think a lot of people struggle with that. I completely agree. That was a good one. Reason number five. This okay. one's, I, I got excited about this one. Reason number five is that you are always training to failure. This is more a problem I see with dudes than females, men than women, but it's not exclusive. You're always training to failure. And this has even been more popular with the recent resurgence of the Mike Menzer style training. Have you seen that? I've never heard of it. Every time I post any sort of video online about training volume, I get a million comments like, oh, tell that to Mike Menzer, who is no longer around. He was a bodybuilder, though, in the 70s, 80s. And he wasn't like, he was good. He never won Olympia. Like, he wasn't the best. But he had this training style. And it was essentially, it was HIT training, but not high-intensity interval training, H-I-I-T. It was H-I-T, just high-intensity training which has made this insane resurgence. I don't know by who it's made online, but on social media, a lot of younger people are doing this. Now, research is very clear to begin with that when left to their own devices, most people don't even come close to failure, right? But there's still a good amount of people that do. Essentially what HIT or that style of HIT training is, is this style where you are taking sets to absolute failure or beyond technical failure with things like drop sets, stretch partials, force traps, things like that. So past technical failure. And you're training with an insanely low amount of sets per workout and per week, and a lot less frequent as well, right? So we're like a normal training program might look like doing, let's say 12 sets throughout the week on your quads spread through two different leg days, six sets on each of those two leg days. That's going to be 12 sets per week. 
let's say using an average of about two RIR or two reps in reserve. So you're training close to failure, but not all the way to failure for the whole mesocycle, which sounds like a pretty solid training program to me. Where HIT, this HIT, is where you're only doing, let's say, three sets on your quads for the entire week. Three. Like two or three sets. And you're only doing that on one workout. But instead of training to two RIR or leaving two reps in reserve, right, it's taking each set to a negative five RIR, right, past failure, right, where you take the weight to absolute failure and then you cut the weight and take it to failure again without rest. That's what this high intensity style of training is. And I think that's like the big question. Is it a good idea? Is it the, a bad idea? Is it the worst idea? This style of training does have some pros and cons, it does have some pros and cons. But I think for most people that are trained to failure, I think this is younger people. I don't know if you did this when you were younger. That was just what you did. Wow. Like every set you just took to failure, right? You don't count reps. You just go. Well, actually, you yeah, passed, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. That was what, that's what a, lot, a lot of people who are in like that new intermediate stage do. But before we talk about that real quick, I do want to define failure because I think there's several definitions. Like the two main ones that most people use are absolute failure and technical failure, right? Absolute or muscular failure or technical failure. Pause real quick. Did you see? For, okay. My video is back. That was weird. Did it skip for you or no? No. Oh, okay, cool. Unpause. Now, absolute or muscular failure is just defined as when despite the greatest effort, a person is unable to meet and overcome the demands of the exercise, causing an involuntary set endpoint. That's the important point. Involuntary set endpoint. So basically, you don't just stop because it feels hard. You stop when your muscles physically are incapable of producing any more force to move the weight any further. That's absolute failure. Technical failure is what most, I think, fitness professionals use. And this is when you can't do another rep with the same form or technique as when you started the set. So once your form is altered, that would be considered failure. And again, this is where I think most coaches use it today. I personally like to use a definition that's somewhere in the middle because I think you're leaving some room on the table if you're just stopping as soon as your technique alters a little bit, right? I think a little form deviation is okay if it helps you crank out a few extra reps to really reach muscular failure as long as you're keeping that like same muscle as the focus. But once you start creating an entirely different exercise just to move the weight, I think you're stretching the definition a little bit too far. When you see people, it's like you can have some like people call them cheat reps. But if to, to get the weight up, you're using an entirely different muscle group to get it there, you're not like, what's the point, yeah. right? Like, what's the actual yeah. point? Now, there are countless studies that show that you can make just as much progress stopping just short of failure, like one to three reps short of failure, as you can by taking it to failure when the training volume is matched or when people are doing the same workouts. Over and over again, that's shown in research. But I think this is an important part. This is when people are in a controlled environment and they're completing the same workouts, right? Like in a study, you're checking it in. You're not leaving people up to their own devices. Research now is also very clear, and this is, I think, kind of interesting, that the last two reps in particular to failure are disproportionately fatiguing compared to stopping just before that. You see an insane amount of the fatigue that you get from a set in those final two reps compared to every rep before that. If you're doing 20 reps, rep 19 and 20 are where you're going to see a disproportionate amount of fatigue come up. Okay, so 
and just for those listening, like fatigue is not a good thing from a recovery standpoint. But what I've noticed is if you're always training to absolute failure, you're not going to be able to truly do as much high quality sets through your entire workout or through the entire week as compared if you're just stopping short. And like, for an example, I just was doing bench press and I posted it on my stories on Instagram the other day. I was doing three sets of five reps at 315. And 315 pounds for me is about an RPE seven when I do five repetitions, meaning that's the weight that I could do eight times, but I stop at five. I stop at five, even though I could crank out eight total reps. And I do that because for all three sets, I'm able to do five repetitions. Set one, set two, set three, I can do five repetitions where if that first set, I take it to absolute failure, I do eight reps. I guarantee you, I'm going to be so fatigued on the second set. I could maybe do three or four, maybe five if I'm lucky. And I guarantee you the third set, I could probably do two or three, maybe two or three if I'm feeling good. So would I rather have three highly effective sets or one and then two kind of half assets? That's the point I'm trying to make. When you're taking things to failure, you're going to have some good sets, some effective sets, but more than half of them probably won't be as heavy as you could be lifting. And that's the point I'm trying to make here in most training programs. So the goal is really to make sure that your training is minimizing fatigue while still getting the same hypertrophic stimulus needed for muscle growth. And if you're confused on where this lands, it was episode 74 we did on using the RPE scale and RIR, the things I was mentioning. The RPE scale, just for brief, is essentially measuring how hard your set should be based on the weight you're using. If you don't know if you're lifting heavy enough or if you're lifting too heavy, go listen to that episode and learn how to use that scale, right? Like mm -hmm. it's one of the most valuable tools you could add to your workouts. Add that in there. And I don't think training to failure has any place in a training program since it recruits as many motor units and muscle fibers as possible. So I would say really like reserving it for the last set or two on a muscle group for that day where you're not going to need it for the rest of your workout is a good idea because you can actually squeeze a little bit more out of it. Or maybe if you're crunched for time and you could do kind of a Mike Menser style training, if you have 30 minutes for a workout, 40 minutes for a workout, you could do just a couple sets to failure. But if you're doing every set to failure, I would argue that you're not going to be able to make progress past that intermediate stage. That's the hardest part about working out with Mariana when she comes to LA. If she just pounds it to the ground, she's like, add another plate. Yeah, buddy, one more plate. I've literally, I've never like actually trained. To, well, I have to understand what my like, what failure is for me, but I've never had a program where like that was. Oh, that's just like what you're doing all the time. Yeah, yeah. It's a brutal it, style of training. Like you even just, you now feel I fucking gassed. hate it. I'm humbled. <laughs> yeah, yeah humbles you quick but that's at least um, and i guess that could be anybody right but i i noticed that like when i was younger i used to do it a lot i noticed a lot of people in like the intermediate stage get stuck there mm -hmm. because they don't understand that point yeah so that was reason number five but this yeah i don't get this whole mike menser resurgence that's coming out i'm gonna have to look at, look into that honestly tony and i's social media like what i want to spend a day on your social media and like see what you see page. because it's so different except my for you page is no is barely any fitness unless if i'm searching stuff for the podcast like i really don't have much fitness on my for you page at all that is because yeah. whenever for context whenever either of us asks each other if we've been seeing this like massive global trend that's going on online the other person's like, no, I have no clue what no. you're talking about. Have like the Russian <laughs> hip thrust thing. I'm like, no, what are you talking about? Like, we just realized that we have such a different for you page. Mm -hmm. It's hilarious. It's so funny. 
Um, so bottom half of the list. So number six, we're going to start stemming into places like outside of the gym where you're going to notice the effects inside of the gym. So this is, you're not fueling yourself towards your goal. So this is focusing on diet and we can't talk about working out. I don't think ever without mentioning diet because it is such a integral, integral and crucial component of your workouts. And I think the first thing people think of, right, is you need to eat enough protein to gain muscle, build, build strength, you know, protein's important, going to the gym, protein, they're, they're highly associated with each other. So get into that in a moment. But I think that what people fail to miss in this conversation as just as important is eating enough calories, having enough fuel in the tank to power you through your workout truth that most people don't want to hear is your body requires a substantial amount of energy, which is calories. Calories are energy to gain muscle and power you through your workouts. So many girls I find specifically talk about wanting to, Mm -hmm. wanting a dumpy, wanting a fat ass, you know, right. And they're just the, not even close to eating the amount of food and protein, but that's required to get there. You got to build. If you're building something, you need fuel to do that. So it's very possible that if you're at a standstill in your workout or you feel like find people get really fatigued easily or you just you feel like especially during your workout, you may see the effects of this if you're not eating enough. That can be the culprit. So how many calories should you be eating? We do have a great pro calorie calculator that you could go use, figure that out, whether you are trying to maintain, whether you're trying to lose fat, build muscle. It's going to be really, really important that you have sufficient energy. You need that to get you through your workout. You really want to try to prevent as much fatigue as possible so that you can perform your exercises with as much energy as you can. Food does that. And food is also important, sufficient energy to recover from that workout. Specifically, now I'm going to talk a little bit more about protein, but also people, I think people know protein is important. This is where tracking comes in like crucially for both calories and protein, but you're, you might not be eating enough. And a lot of people find out, especially if they're not tracking, but they think, you know, oh, I have protein at every meal, like I have a protein stack and then they actually record it. And are very off from what their goal is. Hitting your protein yeah. goal, you've really got to you be intentional. Nice. You don't I, do it by accident. You, you, yeah, you can't do it by yeah. accident. If you're not eating enough protein, period, and if you're working out hard and you're not hitting your protein goal, that's going to really affect not only your recovery, your strength and muscle gains, but I just, it almost concerns me from a, a safety standpoint, like being that underfueled, but also trying to work that hard. I feel like people just get dry because they get obsessed with this whole calories in versus calories out idea, which is still true. But they think the only way to do that is to eat less and less food. They don't realize by eating more food, not doubling or tripling it, but eating more food, you're right. How much more fuel you have, how much more you can get out of each workout, how much more energy you have through the day, how much more you just end up moving through the day Mm -hmm. when you're actually fueling your freaking body. People don't really realize that increasing your food can cause you to burn so much more and get so much more out of these workouts. Yeah, yeah. I feel like people don't really think about what protein does in your body. I know it's important. Yeah, it's important for muscle, but the essential amino acids, so the building blocks of protein, stimulate protein synthesis or the building of new muscle and prevent the body from using existing muscle as fuel during workouts. That's the huge piece that I think people fail 
to think about. Yes, it's important for building, but it prevents you from using muscle that you have worked really hard to build and breaking that down to get you through your workout. And I don't think people really, really take the time to think about that. If you're not eating enough protein to meet your needs, healthy muscle tissue must be broken down to make the necessary proteins for all the other essential roles of protein in the body. We do not want to be breaking down the the muscle that we have worked so hard to build. So you really need to pay attention to that protein intake. We also... We have a protein calculator. I was going to say on our protein calculator, you usually realize it's not like it's the most insanely high number that you think because our protein calculator, it gives you an upper and lower limit or a window to aim for, not just one high limit, like one gram per pound of body weight, which is usually way too high for 99% of people because the lower limit to get everything you need, like Marianne was talking about to prevent your body from breaking down muscle, to help support building new muscle, to really maximize muscle protein synthesis is only 0.8 grams per pound of a lean body mass. So not total body weight, but just lean body mass. So mass that's not coming from fat. And that's not as high of a number as most people, I think have the idea in their head from seeing all these videos online of -hmm. just one gram, two grams per pound of body, whatever it might be for 150 pound female, that could be right around like a hundred grams of protein. Maybe 90 would be the bottom limit. And it could be more, but it's usually not as high as people think. And I think yeah. that's scary sometimes because you see people like a, I've had people come in that are like 150 pound female. And it's like, I was trying to eat 190 grams of protein. It's like, what? Ah! Oh my like, God. How? how do you do that? <laughs> so it's, it's insane. Even on uh, in our protein calculator, we have an insane protein list Yeah. of a ton of high protein foods. Mm-hmm. But I'm with yeah, you. So just, I'm a ground just, meat kind of guy. I know it's just so easy and you could do a lot mm-hmm. with it, but even like shrimp, white fish, uh, salmon, it's a, that's a fattier source of protein, but it is really good for you. It has a lot of omega threes, easier ones like Greek yogurt, cottage cheese. I had a strawberry cottage cheese the other day and it was actually really, really good. I didn't even know they did flavors of it. I've never had cottage and- cheese. If you are vegan or vegetarian, there are tofu and tempeh are going to be your go-to sources because they are soy protein. You, it's the only complete protein source you can get. Uh, If you are vegan, you can still, you don't have to worry about not getting complete protein because you're going to combine other proteins like like beans and legumes and whatnot. You get the highest concentration of protein for a smaller amount for tofu and tempeh. It's going to be a little bit more difficult if you are vegan. Speaking from experience, maybe Mm -hmm. that's my bias. It's definitely more challenging. Not impossible. Yeah. Don't shy away from carbs either. So yes, calories are energy. Carbohydrates are your main energy source. And that is, do not try and just like cut out carbs. I think people are kind of steering away from that now more so. All those macronutrients are important. Mm -hmm. Having a clear plan of action, tracking again, is going to really help you see if you're consistent with these goals. Building muscle is going to, or losing fat is going to require planning and tracking, not just your workouts, but also your food. And I'm not saying that's a forever thing. It will help you get this foundation and help you towards consistency as well in the beginning, especially, but can't neglect Gotta feed that yourself. piece. Yeah. Gotta feed yourself. Yeah. You could be working out. You could have the, the best designed workouts and training program. You could have the perfect dialed in intensity, but if you're not feeding yourself, you can't expect to move. Right. Like the workout puts the train on the tracks. Nutrition is the coal that goes in the engine. Right. That actually moves you. Now that leads us into number seven, reason number seven. And this one's not even that long, but it's the opposite of rule number five is that you're not lifting 
heavy enough. You're not taking things as close to failure. Now, depending on the recommendations and who you ask, because there's a lot of different recommendations of how close you need to be taking things to failure, two reps short, five reps short. There's a lot of different arguments that can be made for it. No matter what though, you have to generally be training within at least a few reps of failure to actually stimulate growth, right? To give your muscle the stimulus it needs to grow. And there was a really interesting study done in 2017 that actually found when subjects were left to their own devices and asked to take their typical 10 rep weight to complete failure. So they asked these subjects, these normal gym goers on this exercise, what is your 10 rep weight? Choose it. Cool. Now I want you to take it to absolute failure to where we have to pick the weight off of you. Half of the subjects, 47%, but half of the subjects were able to do more than 16 reps with their 10 rep max weight that they thought they had in their head. Meaning that people in the study thought that they were using heavy weight, but in reality, were nowhere close to where they needed to be. Okay. So this is just another way taking certain sets to absolute failure can be used as a tool when you don't abuse failure. Because if you're never taking things to absolute failure, you might not keep yourself in check, right? If you've been coasting for a while with the same weights and you take it to failure, you'd be like, holy crap, I thought this was right next to failure. I was aiming for eight reps. I did 18. That's not uncommon. That's not uncommon. So that's where like using failure on, I call them like safe to fail exercises. So not like a barbell back squat, but doing <laughs> like a bicep curl where it's like, what's the worst case when you go up to curl and you fail? Oh, the weight just comes back down versus like a squat where you are now crushed. But take some certain sets to failure, not just for the stimulus effect, but to keep yourself accountable, like hold yourself in check. And I cannot recommend enough learning how to use that RPE scale. That is the one tool that will better help you understand how much weight you need to be lifting on each exercise. So number seven is just that you're not lifting heavy enough. And that's probably most people that go to the gym. Probably me sometimes. <laughs> Definitely me sometimes. Depending on the exercise, but that's all right. We can we always have areas to improve on for sure. We all we all uh, number eight. Anything revolving around sleep, I just think about Tony as his specialty. But your sleep but is this not time you're leading it. You're leading this I am, section. and I stole completely from information Tony has provided me with in the past, which is not plagiarism if I say it up front because he educates me in the sleep world. Okay. But the most common repercussion of inadequate sleep that you probably think of right off the bat is your energy throughout the day, your energy and your workout. How many times have you had a shitty night's sleep and you go to the gym and you're just like, oh, like you have to half-ass a lot of what you're doing because you're tired. You don't have the energy or you're relying on your pre-workout and even after you take your pre-workout and you only slept like three to four hours, it's still just you're not putting what you're capable of putting into your workout. So I feel like that's the more intuitive thing you can think about is you want to have get enough sleep so that you can put your best into your workouts at the gym and have enough energy yeah. to power you through your workout. Intuitively, that's what people often think about. What people don't think about, and this is something that I learned from in from Tony that I had never really thought about before, but are the hormonal impacts of poor sleep, inadequate Massive. sleep, insufficient sleep. And I found this to be, these just to be really interesting, but as little as one week of sleep de deprivation lowers testosterone levels to that of someone a decade older. There was a really co cool study. If you want to learn all about sleep, we have a whole episode, but these are just some of the snippets taken That's from there. That's crazy though. Like yeah. as little as one week of sleep deprivation lowers testosterone levels to that of someone a decade older. That's and just a week. Like how many people do you know that just go through life kind of sleep deprived? 
Right. And that's it's so interesting to me how this is not talked about enough at all, especially amongst men who are so obsessed with which makes sense. I understand that that is Mm -hmm. a huge fear. You don't you like you want to prevent your testosterone from lowering and it is a good discussion to have, but no one talks about this and it's really important. So I just found that to be interesting. And then you also produce significantly less growth hormone being that 70% plus of growth growth hormone is produced in your deep sleep stages. So those are both anabolic hormones. So that's how you repair testosterone. Yeah. It's how you recover. Yes. Yeah. So consistently over time, not having good quality sleep and not getting enough sleep, that's really, really, really going to affect those hormones that are important for building, repairing, and that is going to transfer into your ability to do that in the gym with your muscle. And another big piece to think about is your cortisol levels, how cortisol is affected by sleep. It's a catabolic hormone. So breaking down, think about that when you think about cortisol. And it decreases during the initial stages of sleep, sleep hours, and is seen to spike the night following a bad night's sleep. So having cortisol spiking after a poor night's sleep, that's going to increase catabolic processes in the body breakdown. You want to prevent the breakdown of muscle and chronically elevated cortisols can actually promote the breakdown of muscle. So think about it's like the perfect storm, (laughs) like just not getting sleep. It's like not only are the anabolic or building hormones suppressed, testosterone, Mm -hmm. growth hormone through the freaking toilet, but the catabolic hormones, the things that are actively like breaking down Mm -hmm. are elevated on top of that. Like it is the perfect storm. And it's just this one thing is what's impacting all this. It's nuts to me. Yeah. Yeah. And it also really can affect your appetite regulating hormones. So ghrelin is your hunger hormone and leptin is your fullness hormone. And it can affect the production of those two. You want them a lot of people will see that ghrelin production can be increased or leptin production can be decreased. And that's going to affect how hungry you are throughout the day. It can really make you feel hungrier when you're actually not. But because you have insufficient leptin production and increased ghrelin production, you're going to have that heightened sense of hunger. And that is not we do, you do not want that. You don't want to feel like you don't have control over your hunger or fullness when it comes to having any <laughs> fitness health related goal it's going to make Seriously. it a lot harder to adhere to your nutrition goals people i don't know like it just puts into perspective our body is doing so much when we are sleeping and not just when we are sleeping but the after effects like aftermath of being sleep deprived it's, yeah. it's huge how that trickles into so many other processes going on in your body especially muscle protein synthesis And when you think intuitively too, like sleep is the only time when our body gets to actually stop and recover, refuel, give, we need to rest and recover to have the energy for all the metabolic processes in our body going on to perform optimally. Sleep is important. That's why I I was so pumped about doing that episode. Finally, it's the glue that holds everything together. It's nuts. Yeah. It's nuts. If you Um, haven't listened to that one, I forget what number it was. It was Tony's favorite episode of all time. Yeah. And you can also go to that episode to um, hear more tips on how to improve your sleep, but without getting too in the nitty gritty there. But I think that why piece, even to start getting the wheels turning, a lot of people know, trust me, I'm one of those people. A lot of people know their sleep isn't good. It's not optimal. They need to improve it. A lot of people do not prioritize it. And it should be just as much, if not more of a priority 
than your workout routine. You really should get your tr- sleep in check before. If that's really, really bad, it's going to make it so much harder to have a successful workout in, in the long term. There's knowledge that changes behavior and then there's knowledge that doesn't. And I think yeah. in this case, this is why like, I love doing that sleep episode because most of the time, knowledge that doesn't change someone's behavior really just means that they don't fully understand what they're learning about. Same thing with sleep. Like we know, like I think if you ask anybody, everyone knows sleep is important, but how many people actually change their behavior to prioritize fixing their sleep? That's why we had the whole episode on how to fix your sleep, yes. right? Because once you really understand why, that is when it becomes knowledge that changes behavior because you realize how it would be a performance enhancing drug if you could take it as a pill or injection. Yeah. Oh, uh, people would pay thousands of dollars for what sleep can do if you could buy it in a pill. And it's uh, like when you, I get. reincarnated and I live in my body lives in like the future because I hope that when that happens you could just take a pill you could just take a pill that makes you have the best sleep in the world Neuralink with Elon Musk I bet you could just on a little smart like an app just turn off power down Mm -hmm. give it like five years I bet there is reason number nine coming off closing off the list here soon number nine this one, I hate to be like a parent. This seems like a parent. This seems like a naggy. When I was younger, I hated people like me saying this kind of stuff. But let me explain why. Number nine is that you're not prioritizing technique or form to your lifting. You're not prioritizing technique or form. And I know this is boring, but trust me, from over 10 years of experience in this industry, I have never seen someone use shitty form, make it past the intermediate stage of lifting. Never. Not a single, single time right? This really can just limit the effectiveness of exercises and lead to injuries is another big part. But when you prioritize lifting heavier weights at the cost of your form, you're doing a few things. One, you're just starting off, you're making the exercise less effective, not more, right? You think lifting more weight will make it more effective. It does the opposite when you're breaking and and coming at the expensive form. From a muscle engagement standpoint, just because you're moving the tension from your target muscle to somewhere that's not your target muscle, if you're arching your back to swing your bicep curl up, you're shifting the tension that you want on your bicep to your lower back, which (laughs) you're not even talking about injuries yet. That's just not where you actually want the tension. And then two, from a range of motion standpoint, because poor form usually leads to less range of motion. And we know that is one of the most important factors of growth and progress is that stretch position and full range of motion. So usually when you're increasing weight at the expense of form, you're putting less tension on the muscle you're trying to put more on and you're getting less range of motion. So you're just making it an overall worse lift. Okay. The second reason is that it usually just leads to plateaus because these muscles aren't being adequately challenged. Okay. You're not going to get stronger because you're not actually stimulating the muscle you're trying to grow. And three is it's just putting more stress on your joints, ligaments, and tendons, increasing the risk of strains, strains, and more serious injuries. I know this sounds so lame and so boring, but it is always better to go slow and under control using good form than it is to let your ego take over and add a few more pounds. I'll say almost always. I'm not an always and never person, but 99.9% of the time, it's your ego that says, I haven't made progress in this weight for a while. Let me increase the weight. When in reality, you should probably be slowing down to put more attention to actually get a better, more effective workout. That's what people have the, I don't know about you, but whenever I program in for a client or talk to people about it, it's like, why can't I get my bench past this point? And I'm like, well, have you ever thought about adding in another day where you're taking it nowhere close to failure? 
like using 50% of the weight you would use and just going as slow as you possibly can to really yeah. focus on your technique and form. And they're like, no. And they'll try it for a week, but it seems like you're wasting your time because you're not getting a pump. You're not getting a burn. You're not feeling it as much. But that's what leads to more progress is you're actually yeah. getting more efficient, not less efficient. So I hate to sound like the dad of the chat right now by saying, oh, do a good form. Don't do it. Took me a long time to figure that out. But it's a staple. It's a staple. And you also learn a lot when you're prioritizing form and technique. You learn a lot about your body's limitations, like what you can and cannot do. So maybe for so long, you really just felt like in your squat, your depth was really lacking or you felt a lot of like pain somewhere in your lower back. Maybe it was just the positioning of your feet. It could be something as little as that, that you would never think about or think to change if you're not really taking the time to slow things down, focus on your form and technique. You learn a lot about your body and what's going to be best based off of your own biomechanics, how you're set up. Some things just like, for me, I'm six feet tall. What My positioning for certain exercises is not going to be the same as a five foot woman. It's just not because of how of my anatomy. And sometimes you, you just really need to take a step back and consider that and slowing things down really forces you to learn a lot more about yeah. what you're capable Heck of doing. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Now close us out. Bring it home. Yes. Reason we, okay, 10. So kind of talked about that, just mentioned it in sleep, but your stress not being in check. So reiterate, just what we said in sleep, cortisol, which is your stress hormone, is a catabolic hormone. If that is chronically elevated, you are going to be prioritizing processes that promote the breakdown of muscle. Um, we do not want that. And also, <laughs> chronic stress has many other, you know, physiological implications, but also behaviors outside of the gym. But because it is like a catabolic process, it decreases anabolic processes such as muscle building so it shifts chronic stress shifts your hormonal balance lowering levels of anabolic hormones so that promote promote growth and skeletal and lean muscle mass and increases the levels of hormones that promote muscle breakdown so it isn't just promoting muscle breakdown it can also shift that um in lowering the levels of anabolic hormones too so it also has that impact that that's really over time going to um, make it so you're not achieving your muscle building potential like you could. And again, I say over time, acute stress is good. A little bit of stress is, is really mm -hmm. important in life. Um, I'm talking about people who go through their day-to-day -day chronically chronic stressed stuff. over years. You know, I mean, a lot of people in American society do that, going to a job they hate. Uh, and in a relationship that sucks, in a family yeah. And I'm not, I'm even thinking this now, not even just from like the physiological changes, the hormonal changes, all these things, mm -hmm. but Lane Norton talked about this a lot when he was getting out of his, like a bad relationship and it was like, it took several months to fully get out of it. And he was talking about how he was plateauing like final six months and he never connected the dots until he got out of the relationship. Felt like just, I mean, you know, whenever a big stress is lifted, you quit a job that you has been bogging you mm -hmm. down, a bad relationship. And it just like, you're like, holy crap, I, I feel like I can breathe for the first time in months or mm -hmm. I like, at like the weighted vest, whatever is lifted. He's like, I was setting PRs every workout 
after I got out of that relationship, just going up, not from a motivation standpoint, but I can even say the same thing. When I was finally quitting my job in a corporate structure to start my own business, oh my God, the amount of fatigue that just disappears that, that yeah. I was carrying through the day that you carry through the day when you're just chronically stressed for whatever reason, yeah. you get so much out of your training. Just, I don't know if it's, it's constant CNS or nervous system fatigue that adds up to it. Cause if you're chronically stressed, if you're just in fight or flight 24 seven, I mean, mm -hmm. that sucks it out. You do something that stimulates fight or flight right before your workout, it's going to be a less effective workout. So if yeah. you're just living there, it's like your workouts are probably just going to suck in the first place. Even if you're following a program, you're eating right, you're doing this, you probably just aren't going to be able to bring that much intensity to your yeah. workouts. Yeah. Stress is a and killer. Yeah. And what also like what chronic stress does like affects your behaviors outside of the gym. I mean, your motivation is, is depleted. Like it's mm -hmm. not going to be optimal at all. Your energy throughout yeah. the day is not going to be where it could be. Like we said, it's going to, it can affect your sleep. It's going to affect your diet. Um, why you're making certain food choices. It's going to make it harder to choose the right food choices, especially if you are the somewhat, someone that leads more towards eating when you're stressed um or that type of emotional eating um so it's just i mean it's it's something to think about daily i think even if it's just for 10 minutes a day doing something that can help lower stress in your life whether that's waking up and doing a little bit of breath work doing some meditation incorporating a lower intensity workout like yoga even if it's just for like 15 mm. 20 minutes once or twice a week, um, reading, although personally as a new avid reader, uh, sometimes reading can make you way more stressed, but it's like acute stress. It's not chronic stress. I was like, I bet um, you check your aura ring and it's like heart rate spiked high stress during like, yeah. At night. It's like, what are you doing? It's like, oh, I was reading a yeah. book. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if you have some sort of creative outlet, I just like, especially as we get older and if you are in a job that you hate and you are in some sort of environment that you don't you can't change right yet add something into your life that is just for you that you're mm. li you're not there's no external attachment to it it doesn't provide like there's no metrics that that says you're good or bad or this it just makes you feel good so many people are like well like what if i don't like meditation what if i don't want to do yoga breath work like i don't it's really hard for me to force myself to get in that state of mind you can find things that you don't have to force yourself to get in that state of mind yeah. literally just enjoyment just, just enjoyment. I used to, in school, I used to like to just go stand out when I was in college outside in the sun for 10 minutes, just stand there and bask that in the sun. And that was, kid. that was it. I couldn't be bothered to meditate or anything, but that was my form of meditation. I was turning my brain off and I was just there and I felt good. Uh, yeah. I mean, even for some people, I think for most people, the narrative is even going on social media makes you stress. But I know for some people that are just busy 24 seven, Sometimes unplugging and just taking 10 minutes to go scroll mindlessly on Instagram, oh on God. TikTok, get a few laughs. I know some people who that's like a big stress relief practice. The majority yeah. of people get more stressed by using it, but there are some people, so that's what you're saying, is like just do something that lets your body mm -hmm. relax. Yeah. Right? If you're listening to this and you realize I do this a lot, like keeping my shoulders tight, like loosen your shoulders out. Shake relax your, your shoulders, right? relax like, your jaw, Uncle unclench your jaw. I yeah. used to have reminders on my phone to unclench my jaw because, I mean, I have jaw clenching problems and like my anxiety, I'd be so tense all the time. Um, yeah. But you got just something to do it. Yeah. Which as we're making our way to the end of the list, I started off by saying the training program was the most important. All of these things, like 
usually if we do a 10 reason episode, one or two of them might not be as important. I feel like all 10 of these are so massively important to, yeah. to actually getting your workout to work. Mm-hmm. That was huge. That's what we got. Now, if y'all have more questions, want to do a little bit after the episode, remember you can join us over on FS Premium for just five bucks a month. And that sign up is in the show notes below where we go and answer your questions. Every week on Friday, we have those AMA or Ask Me Anything episodes where we go into your questions. If they're about the episode, your own personal health, whatever it is. And you can join us down there. Those are episodes every friggy, friggy Friday. So if you are a premium member, we'll talk to you here in a few days. If not, we hope you have a productive week and we'll talk to you next Monday. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>